All right, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the change of seasons. Lord, how things are, are greening up. And Lord, we are hungry for you. We're hungry for your word. Pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you'd teach us through your word. Pray you would set me aside and give me grace and strength in uh, teaching your word. And that you, Jesus, would be glorified in your name. Amen. Amen. We have witnessed a modern-day miracle, and that is Israel becoming a nation again in May of 1948. For me, my whole life, Israel's been a nation. For some of you, maybe that's not the case. You were born before 1948. But this is modern events that have happened and taken place. Israel had not had their land, had been dispersed, but yet they maintained their culture, maintained their language, and God, just as he promised, brought them back into the land. There's some that study the scriptures that think that God has replaced the nation of Israel with the church, that he's abandoned his promises to the nation of Israel. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 really answer that question for us. But why does Paul address the nation of Israel at this point in the book of Romans? It's part of a bigger narrative, and it's God's unconditional love. At the end of chapter 8, he said that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And his example of that is the nation of Israel. Even though they've had hard hearts towards the Lord, God has been faithful uh, to them. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul is consistent in saying, this is my heart. I want to see my brethren come to know Christ as their Savior. Even though the nation of Israel had persecuted him to such a large degree. We can relate, can't we? Isn't this the greatest prayer of our hearts for our loved ones, for our family members, parents, for our kids, is that they'd be saved, that they would know Christ, that they would have a heart for Christ and to follow after him. And this is Paul's prayer as well. In verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Speaking of the nation of Israel, they're, they're zealous towards God, But it's not according to knowledge, and specifically the knowledge that Christ is the Messiah. That salvation comes through grace alone, through the finished work of cross, through the blood of Jesus. Even to this day, when you go over to Israel, you will see Orthodox Jews, and they are very zealous in their commitment to God. You go to the Western Wall, also called the Wailing Wall, the ancient side of the temple, and they're praying in such dedication to the Lord, but there's not knowledge of Jesus being the Messiah. This word knowledge in the Greek, it's epinosis. It's intense, full knowledge. It's that knowledge that comes through experience, and, and they don't have that knowledge of Christ. And this is a bit humbling because of all people groups, you would think they would have knowledge of God because of their access to the scriptures. So it's possible to study the scriptures and miss Jesus, to study the scriptures and, and miss the whole entire point that we're sinners that need a savior and only Christ can, can save us. In verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Here comes to the heart of the issue of why 
Israel largely has rejected Christ because they're seeking to establish their own righteousness, thinking that I can do this through the works of the law and not wanting to submit themselves to the righteousness of God, specifically the righteousness of God that comes through Christ Jesus. Another way to sum this up is pride. Pride says, I can do this on my own. Pride says, I don't need Christ to to die for my sins. I don't need grace. I can attain righteousness through my own works and through my own efforts. And in doing that, it's not submitting or yielding to the righteousness of God. In verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to believers who believe. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ fulfilled the law. He brings us into his grace. He brings us into his mercy. The whole purpose of the law was to point us to Christ. Christ is the end. He's the fulfillment of, of the law. When we believe, when we trust Christ as our Savior. In verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. This is quoting Leviticus 18, verse 5. What's so brutal about the law is you've got to live up to it perfectly. The law is very cut and dry. You're blessed if you do these things. You're cursed if you disobey. And here, Paul highlights, quoting out of Leviticus, is you've got to live by these things. Really, nation of Israel, you're going to fulfill these laws uh, perfectly, and you don't need Christ as your Savior. 613 laws given to the children of Israel. In verse 6, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Quoting now from Deuteronomy chapter 30. There's this idea that the nation of Israel had, and it's so easy for us to have as well, and I'm sure so many people that don't know Christ as their Savior, it's that God is so far away. Have you ever thought that? And and God is so far away. The assurance of salvation is, is a distant galaxy. Is there any way that I could know that I have the assurance of faith? And people thinking, I've got to do all of these things to try to bring Christ down from the heavens. Or I've got to do all of these things to to bring Christ up from the abyss. It reminds me when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and it was a contest, really, to see who was the one true living God. Build an altar, who could call down fire from heaven? And the prophets of Baal are doing all of these things to try to get Baal's attention, even to the point where they're cutting themselves. And Elijah begins to mock them and saying, well, maybe your God's busy. Maybe he's relieving himself. He's in the restroom, right? You can just see Elijah laughing over this. Is your God not answering because you haven't done enough to to get his attention? And Elijah simply prays and God brings down a fire from heaven. Maybe you have this mindset where you're thinking, 
in order for me to get God's attention, I've got to read my Bible every day, or I've got to come to church on, on Saturday night. Or for God to save me and for me to have the assurance of salvation, I can't struggle with sin or, or give in to, to sin. I, I've got to bring Christ down. I've got to make Christ love me or bring him up from the abyss or, or it's mysterious. This whole idea of a relationship with Christ is, is really complicated and really mysterious. And maybe if you read the right book or you fast long enough or you meet with the right people, then, then you're going to be able to figure out this relationship uh, with Christ. And what the message here in these verses is, is Christ is not far. Christ has already come down from heaven, amen? He left heaven and came down to earth to save us from our sins. He's already been raised from the grave, from the abyss. And he's here and he's, he's present. And the word of God is near. What it takes is faith. That's what it takes. In order for us to have that personal relationship with Christ is faith. Faith in who he is. Faith in what he's done for us, seeing our need for, for a savior. God's not far, he's near. And to be able to turn to him and receive the forgiveness of sins is a choice of faith, of, of trusting him. We go on to verse 9. This is a really important verse in scripture. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul declares what the gospel is, and I'll read it to you. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. By which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you, first of all, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, and he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture was buried and rose again for our sins according to the scripture. And Romans 10, 9 here says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, let's pause on that. We can easily fly through that. What does it mean to, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord? It's to understand that he is our master. That's what Lord means. It's giving him his proper place in our hearts and lives. We understand we're sinners. We turn from our sin, put our faith in Christ, his death and resurrection, and invite him to be the Lord of our lives. I often share with people, if you're not ready for Jesus to take control of your life, you're not ready to get saved. Because part of getting saved is, yes, receiving eternal life, but it's also understanding I've made a mess of myself through sin. I've destroyed myself through sin, and I don't want to be in charge of my life any longer. I want Christ to be my Lord. And if you're in that place tonight where you're like, man, I'm a miserable master of myself. Ever come to that realization? When I'm in charge, 
things do not go well. Jesus, I'm ready for you to be my Lord. Now, do we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. We don't live this out perfectly, but it's important in understanding in our hearts and our lives that Jesus, I'm allowing you to be my Lord. I'm allowing you to take control of, of my life. Jesus invites us to follow him. In this relationship, it's very clear where he says, follow me. It's not that we're peers with Jesus. No, he's Lord. And I'm acknowledging him as Lord. And I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I'm saying it out loud. Jesus, you're Lord. You're my my Lord. And believing in your heart that God has raised him from, from the dead. Why is it so important to believe in your heart? It's been said that the distance that some miss heaven is the distance between their head and their heart. This, this heart knowledge, this heart understanding of, of I'm trusting Christ in my heart. Well, well, let's try to define this. What does it mean to believe in our heart? It's, it's really the core of our being that says, I believe that Jesus is God, that he died for me, and that he rose again. It does involve the mind. There's facts for our faith. There's facts for the resurrection. But it, it doesn't stop there with our mind. It reaches our heart. And we're trusting from our heart and believing that Jesus is God. And God has raised him from the dead. Now notice what happens. When you believe in your heart. It, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say, well, maybe you'll be saved. Well, if you do enough works, then, then you'll be saved. No, through your faith in Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, his death and resurrection, inviting him to be the Lord of your life, you will be saved. From time to time, I, I talk with people that say, you know, I'm really doubting my, my salvation. And they say, okay, well, why? Give me a little picture for that. And they go into to a lot of reasons. And usually at, at some point, there's a, a works-based mindset that has slipped in somewhere where it's, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again from the dead, invited him to be my Lord, but it really can't be that simple. You know, I struggle with this in my life, so I'm not really sure if I'm saved. And I love to take them back to Romans 10, 9. Well, what does the Bible say? We can't trust our emotions on our salvation. Our salvation's much too big of an issue, way too important to trust it to our emotions. What do we trust? We trust the word of God. We trust the promise of God. And the promise of God is you will be saved. Not maybe, not, well, if God's in a good mood. No, this is the promise of God. This is the salvation that comes by grace that is so difficult for the nation of Israel to receive. In verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Your mouth is eventually going to follow your heart. In Matthew 12, verse 34, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So if there's faith in Christ, faith that he died for you and rose again, faith that he's the Lord of your life, that's going to come out of your mouth. With mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever 
believes on him shall not be put to shame. Isaiah 28, 16. This idea, what does it mean to be put to shame? Maybe you go and buy a, a used car. And the car tests out by the mechanic. Everything looks good. It has some maintenance records. You, you go ahead and decide to buy it. Isn't it crazy, the price of used vehicles right now? You could probably make a profit on a car that you b- bought four years ago. When do you ever make a profit on a car? Well, the problem is you'd have to find another one to drive. So you get this car. You've had it for two weeks. And you start to hear this horrific sound under the hood. And what happened? The car put you to shame. You put your trust in that car, but it turned out to be a lemon. It turned out to be not so good, not what it was, it was promised uh, to be. And Christ is not going to put you to shame. When you believe on Christ, you are not put to shame. Isn't that great news? Because he's faithful. He's that cornerstone. He, he is that good in our lives. And verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So no difference between Jew or Gentile on how we're saved. Jews being from the nation of Israel, Gentile being everybody who's not Jewish. Those who call upon Christ are saved. We have the same Lord And he's over all and is rich to all who call upon him. This is a good reminder for us that we have the same Lord. Everyone who's trusted Christ for salvation, we have the the same Lord. There may be a believer that you have a difficult time with. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? We're we're, we're sinners. We'll be reminded they have the, the same Lord, right? Well, there are churches in town that teach the scripture, that believe the gospel, and they're believers, and they have the, the same Lord. And our Lord, our Savior, has made us rich. He is rich to us all. It's a crazy time in the economy, isn't it? Just inflation, the price of gas, a, a lot of uncertainty. Well, think about how rich you are in Christ, how rich he has, has made you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, Trust him and to be rich in Christ, to know your sins are forgiven, to know you're the child of God, that the spirit of God lives inside of you. My goodness, that we're racing towards heaven, that we're racing towards eternity to forever be with the Lord. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. An open invitation, whoever, whosoever, whoever is willing to trust Christ through faith, to believe that God raised him from the dead, to invite him to be the Lord of their life, they will be saved. God will be faithful to his promise. No distinction. Doesn't matter your ethnicity, your ethnic background. Doesn't matter your economics, whether you have a lot of money or no money or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter what your educational background is. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So Paul turns here and he begins to think about the lost, those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that don't know this message of the gospel. And he's saying, 
How can they call on him if they haven't believed? And how shall they believe if they haven't heard the gospel? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now, whenever we think of this word preacher, we think of a setting like this, you know, a preacher, a screecher, someone getting up behind a pulpit and teaching uh, the word of God. But this word preacher actually means herald. In these ancient times, the king would send out a messenger with a royal decree. He would blow a trumpet, get everybody's attention, and say, this is the word from the king. So we're all preachers. We're all heralds. And how are they going to hear unless there is a preacher? Was there ever a time in your life where you were for real lost? It's a little bit harder to do now with our phones and GPS, but, but sometimes the GPS gets lost. But was there ever a time where you're like, man, I, I'm lost and I don't know where I'm going? And it got a bit scary. I remember hunting in southern Oregon, and in southern Oregon, there's dark woods. Like, we really don't have forests in Colorado that are comparison to the forests in uh, southern Oregon. We would go way up into this wilderness area. There wasn't many people that would backpack in there. And I was 12, 12 or 13, and it was an evening hunt, and my dad sent me, and he said, I want you to go down and go sit over that, that meadow and then once the sun gets down, you've got your flashlight and make your way back to, to camp. And I'm like, yeah, this sounds great, you know. I'm getting older. I'm having a little adventure. And I'm sure he wasn't that far away. But in my 12-year-old mind, he was a world away, right? So I go down there, wait for the sun to come down. And, and then I'm, I'm hiking out with my flashlight. And the woods got a lot darker. And I started to feel lost. Like, did I go the right way? I, I think I went the light, right way. Things, things look a little bit differently. And eventually I found my way back to camp and I wasn't lost, but it gave me that feeling of like, oh no, I, I don't know where I'm at. Do you remember before you knew Christ as your savior, the spiritual state of lostness that you were in? Being lost looking for answers, but not being able to find them. Who did God send in your life to come and share the message with you? How important was that in, in your life? So without there being someone that's bringing the message, how are they going to hear? If they don't hear, how are they going to believe? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Phew, I'm not sent. Okay, this study's for somebody else. I'm, it couldn't be that I'm sent to share the gospel. Well, wait a second. We're all sent, aren't we? Jesus has sent us already. Past tense. He said, go and preach the gospel, making disciples of, of all the nations. He's given us instruction to go out and proclaim the good news of, of Jesus Christ. He's entrusted this gospel to us. He sent us. So just remember that when you're loving unbelievers, spending time with unbelievers, sharing the gospel with unbelievers, you're being obedient to Jesus. And Jesus is with you. He's sending you. You're, you're operating under his authority. Jesus came. He told us why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. 
What is God's heart tonight? In June 2022, he wants to see lost people found. He wants to see people go out of darkness into light. That's his ultimate desire that he has called us into. He has sent us. Oftentimes in our lives, we're looking for purpose. Why am I here? We have purpose, and it's to know Christ and to make him known. I grew up, and I've shared this before, playing Little League Baseball, and I was a terrible baseball player. For some reason, me and the baseball bat just didn't connect with the ball very well. So I seemed to get stuck out in right field for three innings. Then it was time for Eric to to go to the bench. And not a lot happens in Little League out in right field. They call it picking daisies because you're, you're picking daisies and then maybe someone's going hit to the, hit the ball to you, right? And that wasn't a lot of fun. Like, I wanted to be in the action. And sometimes I think we think we're on the bench in the Christian life. Well, well God must be using somebody else, but, but he's not using me. I've got too many struggles. I, I don't know enough. And there's no such thing as believers being on the bench, we're, we're all called by God, sent by Christ. You are strategically placed in unbelievers' lives, in your family, in your neighborhood, your apartment, in your workplace. God has, has put you there to be a light and a messenger of his love. Now look at the rest of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things, quoting Isaiah 52, uh, verse 7. How oftentimes would you describe feet as being beautiful? <laughs> I, I just wore my sandals to illustrate this tonight. <laughs> do, you guys, do I have beautiful feet? No, of course not, right? So, so what does this mean, to, to have beautiful feet? It actually means to have your steps filled with life and vigor. It's happy feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Have you ever had such good news that you just couldn't wait to tell somebody? I got to find them. I've got to tell them. I got to call them. This this is good news. This This is glad tidings. May we never forget as we proclaim the gospel that it's good news. Sometimes I think when we're approaching people with the gospel, we're like, you know, you might want to believe in Jesus. He offers the abundant life. It's, it's hard, but it's, it's abundant, you know. He, he loves you, right? No, this is good news. This is good news. You have a Savior that loves you, that died for you, that offers the eternal life to those who believe. And this is the promise of God. If we will step into the plans and the purposes he has for us to go and share the gospel. I can't tell you how many times that in sharing the gospel, my heart has been revived of the goodness of the gospel of of Jesus Christ. And I'm not good at it. I wish I was better at it. I wish I was better and more bold at, at sharing the gospel. But when I do, I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. To be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with others, there's a real joy that happens and takes place. And instead of going through our days just thinking about ourselves, we're able to think about others and their need for Christ. In verse 16, 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Quoting from Isaiah 53. So our job is to love. Our job is to share, to be obedient, to bring the good news. But they have the opportunity to respond. And Isaiah says that not all are going to obey the gospel or submit to the gospel. Lord, who has believed our report? Unfortunately, there's been those in the past and present and will continue to be those in the future that will reject the gospel. But that's between them and the Lord. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's power in the word of God. There's power in the gospel. Someone hears the gospel, hears the the word of God, and hearing comes by faith in the word of God. When we're struggling in faith, when our faith is is weak, what do we do? Spend time in the word of God. The word of God is going to generate faith. Read it. Listen to it. We have such incredible access to the Word of God, don't we? We can read it on our phones. We can listen to it. If you don't have a Bible, a printed copy, we'd love to give you a copy tonight. But it's through hearing the Word of God that faith is birthed. In verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the ends of the world. Quoting from Psalms 19, Psalms 19 speaks of the testimony of creation. That creation is declaring who God is. Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Part of what God is doing in the nation of Israel right now is God brought Gentiles primarily most of us, non-Jews, to faith in Christ to provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy. Well, how do we do that? Hopefully by seeing an intimacy with Christ and an assurance with Christ that comes through grace where they go, oh, I don't have that under the law. I don't have that assurance of salvation. I don't have that intimacy with Christ. In verse 20 But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who didn't seek me. I was made manifest to those who didn't ask for me. God's grace to the Gentiles. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Read ahead. Come back next week. We'll study chapter 11. And we're going to see, in light of the fact that God has continued to reach out to a hard-hearted Israel, a people that are contrary to them, that he has a future plan for the nation of Israel. God hasn't given up on them in their hard-hearted state. Two applications tonight. The first is this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you've thought that salvation is far, it's near. It's near. You don't have to go live up on Pike's Peak in the forest and not eat for seven days to find out who who Jesus is. You don't have to go down to Pueblo and get like a magical chili pepper in order to, to be saved. You don't have to get in some weird position and do some kind of weird kind of mindfulness for a while. You don't have to do any of that. What do you have to do? You gotta repent of your sin, understand that you're a sinner, 
and turn from Christ, turn to Christ, call on him, Jesus, will you save me? I believe you died for me and you rose again. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. It really is that simple. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God will save you. He will absolutely save you. And as we end this service, you can come and pray with someone on the ministry team. We would love to pray with you. Try to answer questions that you have. You can respond in the chats and the comments online. And there's a team there that's able to respond with you. But you know what? You don't even have to come down to the front or respond in the chats and the comments. The important thing is, is you respond from your heart. As we sing this last song, you cry out to the Lord, Jesus save me. And then let somebody know. Let a believer know. If you don't know any believers, come let us know. We love to rejoice with you and pray with you. Go out to your car. Sit in your car. Cry out to Jesus. Jesus save me. It's not about the place. It's about the heart. Jesus is here. He's ready to save you. The word of God is near. Will you believe and be saved? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the second application is we get to go and tell. We get to go and share. And it is an amazing time for the gospel. There's so much confusion. There's so much discouragement. And we have the opportunity to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ. This is what I would ask for us to pray this week and every week, is God, would you give me one opportunity this week to share the gospel? Help me not to miss the opportunity that you're putting in front of me. And then may we be bold to love, bold to care, and bold to share the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins and rising again. Thank you that it's not complicated. There's not all these hoops that we have to, to jump through. But you allowed us to come into relationship with you through faith. Lord, you know our hearts and you know those that don't yet know you. And would you speak to them? Would you call them by name and bring them into your kingdom and God, we admit we want to share. We, we want to declare, I, I want to share. But so many times I'm distracted or discouraged or too busy. And Lord, would you free us up? Would you fill us up to where we could go and love on unbelievers, to share the gospel, to share this good news, that we could go through this life with, with happy feet, proclaiming your goodness. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.